This is Derek Moyer, and welcome to the Freedom Fighter Podcast. So welcome friends to another Freedom Fighter podcast, I hope you're good. Uh, we're on to part two, our concluding part of Paul and Pauline Tuthill's amazing story uh, of how they've overcame, um, I mean amazing challenges, real difficulties and Paul um, hurting himself and as you heard in part one, ended up in 58 and a half stone and how many people really in the world come back for that? It's really a miraculous story, and uh, in part two, we're hearing the real nitty gritty now, we're really getting down to what, what was the key things he had to address, to, to change, to come off medication, to, to believe that he could get off uh, all this, um, you know, get that get this weight off himself, and, and then, you know, um, live and sustain himself at a, a healthy level, so... You know, there's, it's full of treasure, full of, full of inspiration that he's um, able to share with us. So, listen in, guys. For those of you who are, are encountering difficulties, be encouraged, be inspired by his story. Give us a picture, paint a picture now of, of how... Because you mentioned to me about the, the, the challenge in some of these lies. And, mm. and, you know, it made me think... I know I've discussed this before with others, but... You know, I, I had read a wee, a wee, uh, you know, a, a wee kind of study that was done, the research around hypnosis, and it was like guys, guys were studying these things to, to really to find the, uh, the truth that people under this, the, 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 uh, you know, under this hypnotic, the sub, the, the subject that was hypnotized, they, they, they just acted on, you know, basically the. You know, they were told that their, their finger had just touched a red poker. Mm-hmm. And they would grimace with pain. The cardiovascular lymphatic symptoms would react just as your finger were, were a red hot poker and pr- produced this inflammation and perhaps a blister on the skin. But it, would, it wasn't real. It was just because they they were believing this stuff. You know, that, that uh, when we believe and agree and accept certain things, we act as if they're true. You know, and and in, in the hypnosis, if you tell them they're deaf, they they act as if they're deaf. Yeah, well, I mean, you know? I think that would be the case right throughout my. I was told I'm a psycho, mm-hmm. so therefore I behave like a psycho. Mm-hmm. I'm told I can never walk again, therefore I believe I can never walk again. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't have to. Uh, it's always in the back, even when I want to mobilise. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Um, you're overweight. It's a pain pain meds, mm-hmm. um, but you need you need them to to to, to operate have, have, to function. Have, 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 operate and function. Mm-hmm. So you you got these things and you buy into it. You keep going down that route and you keep buying and buying and buying mm-hmm. and you don't challenge. Or even if you do challenge, uh, it's maybe less painful not to challenge. Don't don't try and challenge it, Paul. That's painful. Just accept. Except where you're at, you're a nut job, you're in a wheelchair, you're overweight, and that's you. It's just who you are and where you'll be. And uh, eventually, what would happen is I would get the subject. What I what I decided that day when we left that consultant in Aberdeen, who's going to do my my gastric bypass. How do you lose twenty stone? How do you lose twenty stone? I mean, how do you? And that was the question. But 
And I've been in a very low place. Remember, two months earlier, I've, I've, I've come out to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, this kind of a laissez-faire attitude to life and whether I live or die or not really didn't didn't bother me at that point. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was like I either live or I die, and I'm not bothered with either or. But I, won't, I don't want to live if it's under these conditions. Yeah. So what I said was, I'm going to stop if. if the medication, if I have, I believe the medication are causing me the problem, mm-hmm. I'm just going to stop taking them. And I did. I went and took myself off everything, all my pain meds, everything. Came off it all in one go. I called Turkey. Now, that wasn't advisable. I'm not telling anyone of your listeners to do that, but that's what that's I did. Because he did get Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be, it was, some of the drugs that I came off of could, could have killed me by doing that. But, at the same time, this is really... I had to go through those roles that were very difficult. But ultimately, when I came through that process after a couple of weeks, um, I really found myself in a place, first of all, that I had... My pain was neither better nor worse. Mm-hmm. It was just the exact same as whether I was taking them or not. So there was no benefit to taking them for pain-wise mm-hmm. now. And... But some of my mental clarity, my memory had been heavily impacted by the tramadol, mm-hmm. and I'd, I was starting to kind of find a bit of clarity in my memory again, mm-hmm. some I could remember things. And uh, the other major thing was I had control over my appetite. For the first time in years, I'd felt I had some sort of control over my appetite. I felt I wasn't in this wild. And anecdotally, I've looked at a lot of people that have been on the same meds. I've known them when they were younger and I've seen them now. I've known them when they were thin and I've seen them on the exact same meds and they've ballooned up. Mm-hmm. So I can now see, is it? And then I've seen how they behave around food. So it's not passive. It's not like you're having this medication and you're suddenly like mm-hmm. blowing up. Yeah. It's how you're reacting to food when you're on this medication right. um, and, and that, how it affects your appetite levels. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one of the first things. I gave all that up. I started to... I remember years ago drinking water and seeing that um, the benefits of that. So I, I looked into it online. I just researched it. How much water should I be drinking? Found a magic formula. Mm-hmm. Not a magic formula, but a scientific formula. Mm-hmm. Uh that most people would, most physicians would subscribe to mm-hmm. for every pound of weight you are, you should be drinking one ounce, uh, half an ounce. So for every pound of weight you are, you should be drinking half an ounce mm-hmm. of fluid water. And what did and that work out into when you were 50 odds? So when I was 50, uh, yeah. eight and a half, well, 54 stone at that point, when I'm starting to change, uh, I, uh, I'm i at nine litres. Wow, uh, it was like eight and a half litres, so I'd just mm-hmm. done up to nine. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I would lose that 20 stone by coming off the beds and drinking the water and restricting my calories to 1,800 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lose that by the April. April, so that was what, eight, so five, what's that, six, seven months? Six, aye, from November to the November, eight, sorry, aye, oh, aye, November, yeah. aye. Oh. So six, six months or something like that. That's seven a months. heck yeah. That's a some uh, uh, yeah. uh, feet up. Yeah. So I phoned the doctor as soon as I get to thirty four stone on the scales. Mm. I phoned the doctor. I'm like, that's me. I'm thirty four stone, and he's like, 
first of all, I never thought I'd ever hear from you again. So well done. <laughs> and I was booked in a week later. I was I, I got my operation a week later. But here's a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done so well. Mm-hmm. I was feeling good. I was still in the wheelchair, but I was still feeling good. Mm-hmm. Get my surgery and I would uh, sort of a, from the April to Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm now just in a phase where I had to go through my post-operative diet mm-hmm. and eventually I would reintroduce food in and I would just live. I had no real, like, sort of, I was doing my water. I was definitely doing my water. That was always, I, that was one of the reasons why I got into water because when you have that kind of surgery, you have to do the water. Mm-hmm. You can become chronically dehydrated quite right. easily. Mm-hmm. So I went to the water, but I wasn't really monitoring as such what I was putting into my body mm-hmm. i was just relying on the mechanics of the surgery so if i ate this i felt full that would be me if i felt full stop mm-hmm. if i would uh, felt sick from eating something i wouldn't eat it again that was really all i was doing mm-hmm. uh, there was no real plan behind it mm-hmm. but ultimately i would uh kind of languish over the march to the christmas time mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not feeling, most days I'm not feeling that good now. I've had the surgery, I'm not feeling that good. I was kind of resentful in some ways. I've had the surgery because I'm not feeling good and I'm not enjoying it. Bariatric surgery, just explain that, Paul. How, how did, it, what did, what did it do? What, did, what, did, what does it do? Remove? Yeah, so what they did fat? for me. It, no, no. So skin. what they did for me is um, what they call a mini gastric bypass. And I have to say, there's nothing mini about it. It's to do with how many cuts there is. It's just a term, so they're not using this big single on this. Well, I can't even pronounce it now. Um, so basically what they're doing is they're coming to your stomach area and they are creating a tube, a sleeve. So they're going to cut away the rest of your stomach and leave you with a, a tube roughly about that size. So that's your mouth sort of are coming to there into this little stomach and then what they do is they go about a meter and a half down to where where you would normally come out your stomach into your lower in, your upper intestine what they're doing is they're going to measure that out take away a meter and a half of that and then put that up there mm-hmm. onto the bottom of it yeah so they're going to bypass your this a uh, meter and a half yeah. why because up there is where you process all your fats and sugars and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea is it's a it's an operation of malnutrition. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to malnutrition uh, make you you know malnutrition to some degree, mm-hmm. um, so that you lose that weight. Mm-hmm. So that means when you bypass that meat and a half, mm-hmm. you first of all um, alcohol would affect you. You would be very drunk very very quickly mm-hmm. if you have because it's going straight into the, it's bypass that area that's less sensitive right. to all these. Um, it's going straight into your bloodstream. The same. As for yeah, they aren't absorbed the same, but neither is fat or sugar. If you had fat or sugar, a very fatty or very sugary Mm -hmm. snack or meal, Mm -hmm. um, that's going straight into your bloodstream as well, and it produces a thing called dumping syndrome, where all the hormones flood into you, Mm -hmm. and you feel like you you honestly feel like you've got you're about to die for fifteen minutes, and then you come back like you're fine after fifteen minutes, Mm -hmm. but for fifteen minutes you feel absolutely. Horrendous, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what I was kind of in that process of trying to find out foods were because mm-hmm. I was still in the old mindset. I was still wanting to eat some of the things I was eating from the past, but seeing if they work anyway. I wasn't feeling good, but I had lost another four stone in that time, mm-hmm. and that was me. I'd made thirty stone, 
made 30 stone and I was told I could never get less than 30 stone mm-hmm. so I'd fulfilled all my agreements I'd, that's what that's what I'm thinking I've fulfilled everything and but a friend of it and said to him I said I'm not feeling good and he said why don't you go back to exactly what you were doing beforehand you seemed happy you seemed healthy just go back to doing it and that's what I did I went back and I kind of retweeted things because obviously I'd had the surgery in that time now I retweeted things and ultimately what I found was I was um, I started feeling better and boom. Just with the water? Fun. You're talking about the water? So water, calorie intake, I'm the 1800 mm-hmm. and eating a protein hanging back, you know, like so a protein, fats and carb-based diet mm-hmm. but staying away from anything excessive mm-hmm. of sugars and yeah. Too high fats, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to eat healthy, basically, mm-hmm. but within a limited amount of calories. Also, going back to small, I, I have about five meals a day. I still have five, six meals a day, mm-hmm. but it's all it's all smaller portions and things like that. I never actually get to a point where I feel that that fullness that I was experiencing when I was before that mm-hmm. time, um, where I was taking things to a limit, basically. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I lose two stone very, very quickly mm-hmm. from making that switch. And so I'm at 28 and I'm like, you, you can't get to 28, Paul. How can you get to 28 if you've been told you're at 38? Mm-hmm. And that really made me go, what happens if that guy had got it wrong? Mm-hmm. What happens if I've been told something that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. And But I believed it. So really mm-hmm. from there, I, I kind of went, I'm just going to run with this. I'm just going to see where I can end up. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what all the medical journals are saying and doctors are saying, yeah. I'm just I'm with us, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I did. Um, so I would continue to lose weight. Mm. Now, once I'm getting under the 28 stone, mm-hmm. it means that when I was mobilising, because mm-hmm. I could shuffle, I could walk a tiny, tiny bit, mm-hmm. but it was a heck of a lot easier getting off of you know to mobilise into chairs and things like that. I was getting up easier because. Mm-hmm. I was getting lighter, mm-hmm. and that really, that challenge, like, seeing my weight going down, then going, mm-hmm. what would happen? Plus, I wasn't really, I mean, there was kind of a negative experience happened when I was in the chair. Mm-hmm. People had come and had a meal with me in my home, and they would treat me one way, and then I'd meet them out in the wheelchair, and they were treating me a different way, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just, I'll never have the quality of life I want. If I'm, if I'm in this chair I'll never really accept it mm-hmm. and the other thing is I think I have seen an improvement in my mental health and I've already had a doctor say you, what you were once told about yourself wasn't true mm-hmm. and so I'm improving mental health wise everything's going positive mm-hmm. um, and ultimately I, I suddenly thought to myself right, I, w- I don't want to in, I don't want this life to just come out that I'm, I'm always in this wheelchair mm-hmm. and I I think the reality is, this is a strange thing, I think there was a degree of, once I was told I'd never walk again, I never had to make any effort to walk again. Mm-hmm. I could stay with my because I've been told that I would never walk again, so what's the point of mm-hmm. trying to make any improvement? If I couldn't make good improvement, mm-hmm. what would be the point? So it's great, it's great to hear that there was a shift that you you were really starting now because of the the gains you were making, the progress you were making, you were starting to bring more thought, more energy into action. 
that resulted in you know obviously you know your faith how, how, what what kind of what kind of part did your faith play in, in yourself, Pauline, as well, when you started see, seeing seeing Paul's, you know, the, the weight falling off? And obviously, was it could could we just then camp out there? Could we camp out just, uh, 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 you know, oh, well, we've got done this. What gave you the drive and incentive to keep saying, no, I'm, I've got new challenges ahead. I've got, I, I, want, I, want to get, I want to get back to a place of fitness. I want to get back to a place of... Being mobile and being and totally engaged and, a, and having a quality of life that you know that I can spend time with the family, I can get out and do do all these things that that had been taken away. Well, I suppose for me this would be a major. I I was just sometimes we all go through moments where you sort of I just cry out. You just sort of cry out, and it was a kind of crying out moment where I was like internally trying crying out to God. I'm like. You know, I've, I've came this far. I don't really want to end at this point. I don't want to, to just end up. I'm standing up and I'm still in a chair and I can't even move about the place. Mm-hmm. And I remember just putting in really crazy um, web searches into the internet, mm-hmm. and I end up finding this guy. He's a chiropractor, but he's more than that. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a. And one of the things he says, he's from California, mm-hmm. a guy called John Bergman, um, talking about back pain. And one of the things he says is, "The truth will set you free." Well, we've all heard that. And who's been set free? And they all went, it's free indeed. And I was like, oh, uh, we've listened to this guy for a moment. And he um, he was coming from it from a sort of spiritual perf- aspect as well. But ultimately, he kind of uh, convinced me through a couple of, perhaps maybe it was that, that kind of Christian language or biblical language that made me kind of prick my ears up a bit more. I was like, oh, I know what this is about. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he said was God's made us with regenerative power in the back. And right. he was very much in the belief that if we could perform in such a way mm-hmm. that we could get adequate blood flow in the back, then your back could heal itself of its problems. Even herniated discs could mend themselves, rehydrate themselves, but doing not anything that's abnormal, mm-hmm. just through the action of walking. Mm-hmm. That's the way humans have been designed to get blood flow through the spine through footsteps. And it's not from shuffling and it's not from waddling. Yeah. It's got to be a kind of perfect step. Mm-hmm. So that, that uh, it seemed like, it, the other thing, it was as if God was putting things in my way, first of all, that I could buy into. Mm-hmm. That I could I could believe in, you know, I was kind of going, nothing. This is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, even just someone like Alec uh, <coughs> talking about that bite, mm-hmm. when I suddenly was down at twenty five stone, I phoned Alec. I said, "Give me, I, I, I'm down at twenty five stone. Have you kept that bike? Mm-hmm. Now, he could, of course, I kept. I told you I would give you it when you're twenty five stone. Mm-hmm. How did you know I'd be twenty five stone? I just knew. I, it was that sort of a faith affirming idea that. Even though you're in a total place of madness, mm-hmm. God is speaking into other people about you mm-hmm. and believing in you. Mm-hmm. And God had always believed in you in the mm-hmm. first place. Mm-hmm. And that's why he put it in the hearts of someone like Alex to keep a bike for you. Mm-hmm. It would be inconceivable for somebody in any other position to mm-hmm. have and offered that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's been times where it's been hard. Uh, there's been times where I've, 
I felt very, very close to God. See, even my worst, even when I was really hard places, you know, I had lovely communion with God. Mm-hmm. There have also been times when I've been on the journey where it's been it's been hard as well. You know, it's like it's it's difficult. I I experienced so much during that time. Some of my thoughts mm-hmm. towards maybe how, in terms of faith, how we should, how we should be doing things. Mm-hmm. Sticking plaster scenarios very rarely work for people. Coming round people. uh, So sometimes the way that the church traditionally does church, uh, didn't really, it doesn't, you don't see it. There's actually a lot of people out there pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and they are in desperately sad places and getting them to go to church on a Sunday Mm -hmm. just to come and sit and listen to a sermon is never going to cut the mustard with them. They need a bigger input and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not meeting a need in Mm -hmm. some ways Mm -hmm. by doing that, just having it exclusively. That's it. You're doing church and then you're suddenly going to be as if you're on, you know, you're going to be Mm -hmm. overcoming because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that that's not good. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. if that's your only approach, then, that's it's not going to reach the people it needs it to reach because they can't even get in the front door of the church. They're mm-hmm. so incapacitated mm-hmm. by the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, it's been a challenge and it's made me question things. It's, I mean, there were things that have happened, whole movements have happened from the time that I went and first hurt my back to where I came out of the chair. And those kind of a nine years. Um, whole movements had happened and mm-hmm. how I would once thought very dogmatically about stuff. Mm-hmm. I really saw, started when I came back out the chair. See, when I came back out the house, when I came back... How did um, that feel? What, what was it like for the first time just getting out the out the chair? Well, and... so for the first for the first time really getting out of the house, I was in a wheelchair. That was one thing I would say. The first time doing it that way was interesting because I, what I was going to, I was going round as an invisible person. Mm-hmm. When you're in a wheelchair, you're invisible, but you... It, like, you want to go about and examine people, do it from a wheelchair. You're totally invisible. And what I was looking around, where I was at college at the time, and when I was going around, I just saw bro- broken people everywhere, lonely people, people sitting. And, and you, it was like, a vi- it wasn't just a vibe. And a, you could see there was a great deal of suffering around the world. And I found that very, very difficult because... I was just a guy in a wheelchair going by, and they didn't have to sort of smile at me. Didn't have to. Didn't have to acknowledge me. You could just see they were absolutely broken and isolated. So that was one thing that's been about something that's on my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of really vulnerable, broken, isolated people out here that people wouldn't even think they were. Mm-hmm. But when when you see them in the context that I saw them in, it was very easy for me to see it. Mm-hmm. And I would often have people come up and tell me that as well, because I was so non-threatening in a chair. Coming out in terms of the coming out of the wheelchair, so I would take 10 perfect steps a day. Mm-hmm. Eventually, those 10 perfect steps, I had to research what does 10 perfect steps even look like. Mm-hmm. But coming out, I went from a, a machine called a rollator, it's like a kind of Zimmer frame of wheels, mm-hmm. uh, onto double crutches, onto a single crutch, onto a walking stick, and then the walking stick goes... And, and how long, that, how long did that take? Well, oh, from once I went and no, said, well, four months ultimately. This is the thing. See, when I knew that that guy had got it wrong over that mm. weight loss, I could only be 30 stone, mm-hmm. it made me think, what happens if it would go? What happened? And then I even questioned myself, 
what happens if I've just been, what happens if I have hobbled myself all this time? What happens if I think I couldn't walk and actually I could walk? Now, I knew I had mechanical problems because mm-hmm. I'd lost all my gait. I wasn't able to walk in a, a way that a human should walk. Mm-hmm. But what happens if there was so much of this society, it's not just that there's physical pain, there was physical pain there because that was part of the healing process, getting rid of that physical pain through the steps. But the being somehow restrained in a prison of my own making. Yeah. And, and, and submitting to it. And submitting yeah, to it, resigning to it, capitulation, accepting it without protesting it, you know, questioning yeah. it, you know. So that's what I did. I just, I just kind of had one lifeline. This guy mm-hmm. believed, I believed at least that I could rejuvenate my, my, rejuvenate my spine through mm-hmm. that adequate blood flow. Just focus on that. I only had to focus on, mm-hmm. then I had to focus on anything else. I didn't mm-hmm. have to think, should I be coming at just had to focus on doing these 10 perfect steps. Mm-hmm. And it all came after so, your other fall, though. He went out on the ice and fell on the ice and thought he'd done his back oh, in again. Oh, that was a horrendous... I was... I, like, I had to get the paramedics sent and everything. He yeah, was crying. Was on, couldn't get him off the ice. It was like sheet black ice out in our street. That and it looked tra- wet. traumatic. Because that was the, the previous wound, the previous fall, and it all yeah. came back together after all these years of hiking. No, again. Yeah, so, but do you know what that fall probably you felt yeah, better after so, it, didn't you? Uh, so I got to the stage where I was starting to feel that I could walk a bit in double crutches. Right. But um, you know, we take to walk three circuits on the street is just approximately a mile. Yeah, it would take me ages to do that. Mm-hmm. And I would go out in the morning at night time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go out early morning but it's still pitch black. It was winter time. Mm-hmm. And uh if it was too ice, I wouldn't do it. But I didn't realise what I was what I thought it was a wet morning and I was actually walking into black ice. Mm-hmm. And I came down, and this was the reality. I remember lying in the you hospital. Oh, I was horrendous. The pain was... I was immobile. I couldn't walk, couldn't move. Polly had to drag me across the ice uh, to get me in the house. You know, it was no... Like, I wasn't standing up from this. It was like, I couldn't feel my legs. Mm-hmm. I thought, my back. I thought I would be not just unable to walk, but paralysed. That's what I thought I was. Um, and... Even the paramedics, nobody knew what was going on. They thought that perhaps this is it as well. Um, and I remember, I do remember just going, God, why did you take me to this point? Why did you take me to this point where I'm just about to get on my feet? And you, what have I done? Is there something I've done in my life that you just, I'm destined not to walk again? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is really what I learned from this experience. It was agony. Mm. See when I came back see all that pain of sitting back down again and mm. I had no other option. This is see from that fall, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. So this is for your viewers and listeners, what you think might be the worst thing that's ever happened to you, the most undeservable bad thing that's ever happened to you mm. might actually just be your turning point. No. It might just be. Um, so I, I couldn't sit. I couldn't sit. I was so much pain. I had to do those 10 perfect steps nonstop. Mm-hmm. That's what really mo- catalyzed my rehabilitation walking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because I had no other option. There was no sitting in a chair for me. There was no lying in a bed. I was oh. in so much pain. I had to just walk. <laughs> and that was it. Great. Four months later, I would be out. So tell me, Paul, and just as, you know, time hangs up, you know, that the joy of. Uh, you know, this reminded me there of Joseph and Paul and Romans. What the enemy has meant for evil, God has used and turned around for good. 
And Paul said, and uh, you know, remember it in Romans eight twenty eight. But in this, I know that all things work together for good to them who love God, and to those who are called according to His purpose. And you think, you know, in the midst of a which looks totally hopeless, and then falls and failures and trips, and even in that, can that be turned around for my good? How are you, Pauline? How have you? Because I mean, this is has been probably very traumatising for you watching all this and seeing Paul's mental health dipping and the suicide attempts and, you know, being the, you know, outworking and all the difficulties. What's, what sense of relief, what sense of, uh, you know, uh, joy and uh, have you kind of came to seeing, seeing Paul's change? I think for years, like, we're just, like, used to, I'd go out walking, like, because that would be my release. I would go and do like a two-hour walk after work. I'd come in, I'd make the dinner, I'd put a wash on, I'd check everybody was all right. They'd be sitting watching the TV. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel there was anything wrong with me going out and doing a two-hour walk, like doing 12 miles or whatever. I mean, I would just go out and walk. Mm -hmm. But that was my release. But Paul seen that as a total rejection of him Mm -hmm. and a rejection of the kids because I wasn't staying at home. But I've said to Paul many times, see, if it wasn't for those walks, I'd probably have killed you. Like, I'd have snapped because I was so... <laughs> That's how you coped. Like, mm-hmm. I was, that was my coping mechanism, right. was to go out and that walk. Yeah. Uh, and I did listen to a lot of my Christian music. I did spend time with God. Not always. Like Other times I'd listen to whatever playlist I wanted. But mm-hmm. I, that was my way of getting out the house, keeping my, my sanity a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but the... There was times where, yet like Paul, I felt really close to God and I felt like, right, he's in this somewhere. I know, I know he is, and I know that God uses all things for good. Mm-hmm. And but what the hell is he thinking? You know, what is like, what is this going to? How is this going to bring good to anybody? How is this going to help anybody? You know, mm-hmm. like I've got three kids who have. I mean, Adam's Adam's great. He's got his way in life, and he's had his odd issues and stuff. But he seems to have coped with it better than the girls. You know, he's like. Um, he was he would look after you and stuff, wouldn't he? Like he was very protective yeah. of Paul. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Abigail went the opposite way. She hated her dad and I hate you and lo- lots of resentment towards him and stuff. And Rebecca's just she's going off the rails now. But I think it's just teenage years. And mm-hmm. but they've had all this stuff to deal with as small kids that they're like, oh, it didn't bother us. But you know, as an adult, if it bothered us then it definitely bothered kids and there's been times where I've completely resented God, like completely resented him, just like, like I, like why, like why have you done that? Why, why is this family getting attacked like this? Why is, you know, why did we come up here? Why did we move up to the Highlands? Because Paul was doing it, like, that was God. Like when you look at how we ended up up here, that was God, right? But you go, why? Why did you bring us up here? Now it could be for a number of reasons. We met Paul's cousin became very, very close to Paul's cousin. She got a varian cancer. Mm-hmm. Paul nursed her, I nursed her. You, know, you nursed her while you were quite ill anyway yourself. And then I would nurse her when I came in from work. 
uh, and she passed away unfortunately but we were very 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 close to her she was like a sister almost mm -hmm. we were just up here for that did god bring us up here because he knew she would need that help that support that lifeline you know and mm -hmm. um, you know what like what what was his, his main reasons for bringing us up here mm -hmm. um and that those that those sort of like all the things that go through your head there but to get paul walking again to see him walking again and be able to come out and walk with me mm. was like a big oh, thing like we were very like i was very like oh, right come like, on let's go for a walk and like we're going walking like just mm. go you know and paul cycled the whole of the great Glen way with one of my friend's husbands mm. and and even for him to do that and like do normal things with guys right. and go out and not be reliant on me all the time for his mm. for his um entertainment or for adult company because mm -hmm. that was difficult like being i was paul's only source of adult company for I years think, and years and you were quite resentful of that as well weren't you yeah like I, you would go who have you been talking to at work what have you been doing at oh, work? Well, i mean it was, it was it's hard when you're seeing life passing you by mm -hmm. and you feel like it's just literally you're looking and you have no everyone else is doing something and very very difficult oh, i can imagine Remember the quote? Remember the quote for Braveheart, and, and Wallace said, "All men die, but not all men really live." And that sense of, uh, you know, seeing life passing you by, you're not able to to fully live. Uh, you can imagine why in James chapter uh, three is it? It talked about where there is confusion. So the way there's uh, envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work is there. But, you know, when you're in that place of no living well, no no doing good, you know, it just opens the door. I've experienced this in my marriage and family over the years. The, you know, when there's conflict, there's strife, there's this confusion and every evil work is in that environment. And that's when you start getting paranoid and sus the thoughts of suspicion enter in. You're wide open to all these thoughts to, what about this? What are you doing? Why are you not? But it's all based upon, I'm actually not alive here. Yeah. I want to be with you. I want to have that. You know? Yeah. But that's how I know, and I hear your concerns and frustrations, Pauline. But yeah. to, to be able to come to, after it all, to, 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 to look look at the ashes of that, and, and, and to be able to rise and see, see a higher good coming at it. You know, yeah. seeing God, you, you promised me, because I know these scriptures that we've all heard, eh, they don't actually mean end to end unless they're applied. Just like me saying, oh, I believe that, you know, you know, we've to be overcomers, but I don't do anything about overcoming. Yeah. Just like what Paul's story's yeah. all about, you know, that uh, the bottom line is, I know I can, I, that good is only going to be experienced by me when I claim it for myself. Yeah. When I say, you you have turned this around for my good, and I continue then, because the narrative's still coming out. If I'm still playing the same old broken records, if I'm still interpreting through the same old lies, the same old the same old stories that, that, were, that, that I lived in, to cope or lived in, and, you know, for all the years, you know, it, it, it's like, to me... The great news ahead, because we know we're just we're just beginning. To we get our health back, but we want our hearts back. We want our children's yeah. hearts back. We want, and that's what I I pray and you know uh, you know believing with you that this this journey of the, what was stolen and lost for your kids and their, their parts of their development and, and, and the you know the stage 
they're growing, they're, you know, stages of growth there. You know, everything can be restored. What was yeah. lost can be can be restored. What was taken and stolen can be restored, and we can have far, you know, we can have better than whatever whatever had before. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, I'll tell you, just so your listeners and viewers, because it must be exciting, what do I like coming back out of the chair? And, and, you know, I've got a job now, I'm a, a tour guide in the Highlands, and uh, I get to take people on day trips to places like Sky and wonderful places, and I jump in and off a bus and all these things. And he calls um, that a job. Yeah, I know, it's like a, <laughs> a, but, you, you know, you just chat nonsense to people. But um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, that's not what really, the, the, the strange coming through it all mm-hmm. see where you really experience it sometimes it's actually just walking around a super, it's a simple things it's walking around a supermarket mm. by yourself something that you could never do one you couldn't go there by yourself you couldn't push yourself around by yourself and then to be walking doing that that's so so novel sometimes i'm smiling sometimes i'm like it doesn't matter i could walk the great glen way yeah. i could do this i could be standing at the top of the kerrang in the sky could be doing all these things but actually, walking through a, a you know a supermarket and just enjoying some day to day things. Now, I know we're going to kind of wrap things up. Just one thing I, I remember reading during the midst of all this, and I don't remember it being a negative or a bad thing. I just remember getting access to a book. It's a free PDF kind of style book by John Piper. It's called Disability and the Sovereignty of God, and that's wonderful. We bit he discusses so we'll look at the passage the chapter and i think it's uh, no i'm gonna i'm gonna get the, the the gospel wrong but where we have a blind man and the disciples he's blind yet and the disciples walk by him with jesus and he says who sin is this why why is he blind whose sin is at fault is it his sin or is it his mother and father's son and Jesus has to take them aside and he really explains something that for people who are who are in any situation whether your mental health bad out there whether you're it's your mobility bad your health you're overweight you're on drugs and you're sitting going what have I done wrong what whose fault whose fault's this whose fault's this whose fault's that and what Jesus firmly puts it in the hands of God in this way and he says he so obviously he become he says God has allowed this to happen. It's not anybody's. It's not to do with sin. It's not his sin. It's not his parents' sin. God has allowed him to get to this place so that he is going to glorify God. Coming out out your darkest moment, God eventually will be glorified and you're coming out of it. And that's what happens, he's healed, uh, the, the man's healed. Now, for some people, God, sometimes people will go through this life and they won't be healed and we won't understand that glorifying, that glorifying aspect. But the reality is still true, God will be glorified. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're maybe, if somebody is going through something out there just now and they're listening to this and they're going, why, why, why? No, know that God is in control and God wants to use this for his glorification, and you're going to be a partaker of that. You're going to experience joy in glorifying God as well through the end of it all. And that, for me, kept me... It was hard, because that's the biggest thing. When you're going through something difficult, the why 
the why, who's to blame, am I to blame, did I do something when I was three years old, did I do something when I was 46, what, is it, is it this sin, was it that sin that's got me to, and that's not really where we, you have to be. It's really got to turn your eyes towards God and say, I wonder how God's going to glorify himself in this. Mm. See, if you allow that thought to permeate your life, how do know God's going to glorify himself through this difficult thing that you're going through? Mm. Then there's a very good chance that you'll look back with hindsight and you'll see God right through the way. He's walked you right through that when you get to the other side. So very good. that's what I would like to leave it with. And I and I think just that, and we talk about glorification, God's goodness becoming manifested. It's a it's an expectation. It's to expect, instead of asking the wrong questions and looking for all the whys, we're expecting God. How how is your goodness going to be made manifested in this situation? Because I have looked to every form of human help, and I've not I've not received the kind of help I need. I've been misdiagnosed. I have been I have lost all hope. And all, all confidence for future. And, you know, to then come to the point of, can I get that attitude of expectancy back? That the source of all life is able to manifest his goodness. He's able to he manifest his healing in my body, in my marriage, in my children's, my, my, the parental relationships, in the, in the you know, in, in the children's hearts. You know, to me... That is what the, the drive to live, to, to, to press and reach forward, you know, uh, that, you know, and, and so I'm so grateful that you've uh, taken this time to share, and it's what a story it is. If anybody, uh, you know, thinks that, that uh, you know, they've got nothing to live for, and they, live, they listen to your story, Paul, and how you've uh, supported them, Pauline, uh, you know, they have to think again. You know, because it's just so inspiring that you've really, you know, you've really overcame, you know, um, some tremendous um, difficulties, trials and suffering there. So, um, would, would you want to like to kind of close in prayer, just just pray for any, you know, or, or, leave, or leave the listener with, uh, you know, with, your, with, you know with, with some thoughts. I'm getting, I'm getting the kick under the table. <laughs> Here you go. Um, leave the listener with some thoughts. So I'll, I'll, I'll also read prayer. But uh, ultimately, um, what would I, how would we summarise this? I, I, I'll just say... I'd say... I'd say oh, there you go. So, go so the, no, the one thing for me is, like... And I'm going to get it wrong because I always get it wrong and I don't know why. But um, the the psalm that has always spoke to me, even from when I was a little girl, was always, uh, I looked to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that has that's kind of propped me up through mm-hmm. a lot of this journey, mm-hmm. a lot of this journey. It's, it's always bringing your, your mind back to... Who's going to help you through this? Because nobody else is going to help. Like friends, family, they're not going to help you through it. Mm-hmm. Church people are not going to help you through it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we were part of a really close church family, I would say. They were very close. But, you know, you would see them helping other people in the church mm-hmm. whom, you know, they would go and help make meals for them. They'd go and do stuff for them. And you're sitting there going, does nobody want to help me? Mm-hmm. Does nobody want to come and say, like, 
you know, I had one, I think once we had somebody from the church, a member Joanne came mm. and took washing away from me because she could see I was completely distraught. Mm. And she was like, I'll just take your washing. And she went and took the washing and did it. And, mm. you know, that was fantastic. And then, you know, I've always had Julie, like, even though she works away in missions and stuff, she always came back. Mm. And it's funny, when she always came back was always when we needed her. Like, mm. she was here when Paul ended up in New Craig's for the week. Mm. And and she stayed for that whole week, and she and I had to go to work, but I'd come home and she'd have made dinner and done the housework and looked after the kids, and you know it was really like God to put her there, like for that time, you know. Um, but I'd say the one constant throughout it all is you always know God's going to be there, you know. You you can't expect other people to be there and help you because they've all got their own life to lead, they've all got their own stuff going on, and. Uh, and I think a lot of the times they just thought that we would just go on with it, you know. Yeah. And I suppose in a way I'm I'm quite a stubborn person in that I would have taken help if somebody offered it, but I wouldn't tell anybody I needed the help. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wouldn't let people know how how mm-hmm. bad it was. Like like you and I knew and the kids knew. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't let other people know. I think But uh, ultimately God, God Sam mm-hmm. yeah. he was there. Is it Sam hundred and twenty? Uh, 120, 121. Yeah, 121. Yeah, 121. Oh. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, but I always get it as a 1 2 1 or 1 2 3. <laughs> I, uh, the one thing that I would, um, so what would I want to leave the listener? And if you've heard this, if you've got to this end of this, the story, is this there was times I was told things. And there was times I believed things about myself. So people either told me things about myself or I believed things about myself. And the reality is those things have to be questioned. If there's something, a narrative going on in your mind, I can't do this because of that. I will never stop this because of that. I can never go because of this. Challenge them. You're not going to be able to necessarily do that all the time by yourself. That's where you're going to need God to come in. The truth will set you free. Mm. And I can guarantee you, if you are got to this point in this, you are needing help. You are looking for uh, a way out of whatever your scenario is. You are going to have to allow God to reveal to you what is really true about you. And there are things that you have bought into. You believe they are fact. You believe a fact. Sometimes you've even told it yourself. Nobody else has ever said it to you. You believe it is absolute fact and you'll never be able to change. And that is not accurate. What you think life is going to hold for you or the way it's going forward, that's not accurate. So that's what I would leave you with. What lies are you believing about yourself that you're accepting as truth? And until you change that, you will never see Whatever you're, whatever's holding you back, whatever place you're at, you're going to have to learn to do that. I'm having to do that. Derek's having to do that. Uh, Pauline's going to is doing that. We have to do that as part of our daily. What lies are we believing? So that's where I would leave you. I'll let you close in prayer then, Derek, yeah, if you so want. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Pauline. Tremendous. Thanks for sharing with us. And, uh, we just pray, I just pray a blessing on you guys. Pray a blessing upon your marriage. I pray a blessing upon every, uh, your, every one of your children. Um, you know, and every everything that God has got for you would be released. Um, you know, every bit of damage, every bit of uh, pain and trauma throughout this process, that God would give you that hope of healing, giving your heart back, giving your children their hearts back, 
every uh, regret and every bit of shame that would would linger because of you know the, the lost years. Um, I, I, I pray would would be released. The 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 a healing and restoration in every area would be released to you as you move forward. And these these uh, this story, and and how how you've come through it, uh, would be used to to help and encourage and motivate and empower so many others. And we just pray that in Jesus' name and agreement. So everybody, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope you've all been blessed. And we'll see you next time. God bless. This has been the Freedom Fighter Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to connect with our services or you want more info or details about upcoming events, connect with us online at www.freedomfighter.life or drop us an email at info at freedomfighters.life. Until next time, God bless you.